0: Welcome to Wilco's Wealth Wisdom Podcast. Today, it is a wonderful, awesome podcast where we're talking about commercial lending, SMSF, and first-home buyers. I was joined with Sean Canham and Mitch Howard from SW Brokerage. Listen, you'll love it. You'll get a lot out of it. Reach out, swbrokerage.com.au. Give us a call. Look us up on social media. Follow us on social media. We put a lot of information up. Enjoy the listening. Let's go, speed skaters. I'm sitting here with Gil, the master, the South American goat, young Mitch Harwood, Money Mitch from SW Brokerage, and then super Sean Canham, who is well known within these podcasts. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Good to be back. Thanks very much for coming back. And welcome, Mitch. Thank you very much. Now, boys, today we just had Ruth and... Mick. Ruth and Mick, we just had Ruth and Mick on, where we spoke about self-employed and some investment. We're fortunate enough here at SW Brokerage where we've got some serious quality and different niches. Shawnee, I might start with you about a little bit about commercial lending, because I know the business is starting to morph into that. We're starting to get a lot more inquiry. Yeah. And with your experience, you know, I'd have to say maybe 10 to 15 years worth of experience there. It's just, you know, nothing like I've ever seen in terms of the quality that you've got in the commercial space, mate, what are the basics of commercial lending, including how is it different from personal or residential lending? Thanks for having me
1: back, Baz. Essentially, the basics of commercial lending are not too dissimilar from residential lending or consumer lending, where you're looking to buy a home. We obviously need a purpose of funding for the business around, that's around uh, who we're lending to and why we're lending to them, like what's going on. The other one is the security position. So what collateral is available to use as security to, to prop up the deal? Similar to a residential home purchase, you obviously take a mortgage over the home. Commercial lending can take charges over businesses or the commercial property as well. And then the third point is the serviceability analysis. So that is the business's uh, ability to repay the loan and continue to trade
0: as it currently is. Okay. What are you seeing a lot at the moment that's coming across your desk in terms of the commercial side of the fence? Yeah, sure. So it's kind of twofold.
1: The first is a lot of self employed individuals looking to get into commercial property ownership themselves so they can be owner operators and and operate out of their own commercial property, especially where it's an existing business and they're paying an existing lease and they're looking to, rather than paying somebody else. That lease and helping somebody else own a property, they're looking to do it themselves. And the other side of things is coming out the back end of COVID now, there's a lot of companies that are looking to recover and grow and take opportunities of the current growth market that we're in. So, therefore, we're seeing a lot of cash flow lending and unsecured lending um, where people are looking for capital reinjections into the company so they can proceed with the growth that they require to keep moving forward.
0: Is there a perfect time that for the people that are looking to get into the commercial side of the fence, is there a time that you can identify that is now a good time to jump into commercial lending for, the, for businesses? It depends on the business and
1: how it's operating, what their plans are moving forward. So anytime's a good time to look into it and start the investigation process. And obviously, when we do the analysis and when we look over the financials of the company, we'll help the clients figure out if now is the right time to strike or if maybe they need to hold off because potentially the company's not quite there yet to buy the property required for them to operate out of. So,
0: so we can really set people up yeah. at the same time because it's relationship-based. With your experience, you can go and go, well, you can pull the trigger or looking at pulling the trigger within a certain time frame. Yeah, that's right. So it's not just a yes or no. Yeah. Obviously,
1: if it's a yes, we proceed. If it's a no, it's usually no, not right now. And this is how we need to establish things moving forward
0: to, to help them buy. So, when you get the financials to look at commercial loan, what are the, some of the key things that you look at within that application?
1: If it's a commercial property purchase, very similar to buying a house, we can look at the deposit amount. How much do they have to provide for the purchase? Mm-hmm. One of the unique things for commercial property purchases, they will tend to lend more against the commercial property than they will in residential world if the company is doing well enough to support a higher loan to asset value ratio. Mm-hmm. So with, with commercial lending, one of the key differences with commercial and consumer is that they take a holistic approach to looking over the financials. Hmm. They don't just look at the financials because that's backwards, that's the last few years. They also look forwards around business projection and what it's going to be looking like moving forward. And then they do their risk analysis based off that. And if the risk analysis comes up quite strong, they are willing to lend a lot higher against that commercial property than potentially in a residential property. Okay. Um, So sometimes you might be able to buy 100% of the commercial property plus the cost to get into it as well.
0: So what are some of the issues that banks will identify to go, this is not for us? Yeah. And how do they overcome that? I
1: just touched on then we look over the financial statements. So that's your financial statements. Profit and loss balance sheet, but also the tax returns of the companies and all of the individuals as well. But that's looking backwards. A lot of the lenders want to look forward as well. They go, okay, we know how the company's performing historically, but what's it doing right now and what's it forecasted to do over the next few years. So when we're talking to clients, if they haven't got a projection or a forecast over the next uh, year, two years, four years, a lot of the banks want to see that, especially as you start getting into unsecured business lending or larger amounts, the banks want to know that the client has a clear pathway, yeah, yeah. pathway moving forward and that they understand where the business is going to be.
0: Then why are some of the rates higher? Mm -hmm. And then why is some of the term less than, say, a 30-year term than a home loan? Yeah, it's all about risk. So when I'm talking to
1: clients, I try and explain that banks deal in risk. So they look over your current financial situation, your, your statement of position, the industry that you work in as well, and what you're trying to do. And they allocate a risk rating to you and your company and based off the back of that risk rating is a base interest rate. And then often enough, there's a margin placed on it as well. So that kind of sets the interest rate. So it is quite difficult to just off the cuff tell yeah. people what their rates yeah. are yeah. in comparison to a home loan.
0: Mm.
1: So it's, it's generally all about interest rates. Now the terms, they do like to have a shorter term. However, if you're buying a commercial property and you're looking at only borrowing 65, 70, even 80% of that property's value, a lot of the lenders will go out to 30-year terms. It's when you start to to push that- The boundaries where it's legitimate equity- Yeah, that's right. Security. That's right. Or completely unsecured. Yeah. They look to reduce that term because the bank wants to reduce the risk of yeah. having an unsecured facility
0: or an overlent position. So what are you seeing out there at the moment in some of the offerings? I mean, I've, I've noticed over the last- 24 months to 12 months, the aggressiveness of some of the mainstream banks that you and I've seen, what are you seeing some of the niches out there that the typical person wouldn't see?
1: Yeah, that's right. So a couple of the the majors are really pushing the, the button on business lending. So they're getting back into the, the SME market and uh, the commercial property market. So there's a few lenders out there, like I touched on before. If you buy a property, let's just use easy numbers you buy a commercial property for $750,000, they will lend you $750,000 to buy that property. And in some circumstances, they'll lend you even higher than the purchase price to cover off the the cost to buy it. So you don't see that in the residential. No, you don't. Unless there's additional security. But in the commercial world, they'll definitely look at that. But this is one of the circumstances where they will look to reduce your loan term. So what they'll do is they'll give you 80% approximately of that purchase price as a 30 year term. And then the other 20% they'll give to you maybe on a much shorter loan term because they want to see that. So if, they split it. Yeah, they split it up and they want to see that over position corrected as soon as possible. One of the other benefits of commercial lending, if, if you own your own home as well, and you've got some equity available, they can link that property in with the commercial property in your business or in your, your family trust as well. A lot of clients are doing that to help prop up the purchase. And that would help the rate too, the more security that you have, right? Yeah, that's right. So the more secure the, the bank is, the more security mm. you can offer, typically the lower the interest rate as well.
0: And I know that we specialize in that small business area. One that springs to mind for any listeners out there at the moment is that I had a young couple, both PAYG, bit of equity in their property, and they were looking at buying a Pilates studio. And instinctively, I would have thought, no, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Completely different industry, but we found a lender that could Accommodate it. Yes. Given that they had the equity, plus they worked on projections. And it's not as black and white as your mortgage. So, you know, it's interesting that how many lenders do we have access to at SW Brokerage, would you say maybe 15
1: commercial lenders that we kind of play around with? Yeah. On the regular that we talk to, probably 15, but there's a lot more that we can go out to as well. The main difference between commercial lending and residential lending in your personal names, Your personal name is governed by a thing called the NCCP. So that's the National Credit Consumer Credit Protections Act. So that is to look after consumers to make sure that lenders and financiers are not doing the wrong thing by individuals and and putting individuals in financial hardship. When it comes to business and, and commercial lending, often that NCCP Act doesn't Regulate those products. So, there are a few other lenders out there that are more willing to push the boundaries when it comes to risk assessments. Mm. And obviously, when you push the boundaries on risk assessments, there are other negatives that come into play. But we've seen plenty of clients who have a business need and a business requirement that makes sense, that is a sound business strategy. And moving forward, you can clearly see that they have a, a business that will meet the repayments. However, traditional lenders may not be willing to either go into that segment. Or maybe they're not willing to do an unsecured lend for those individuals or business. So then you look at other lenders.
0: Acquisitions. Mm-hmm. You touched on commercial buying property there. I know that we've dealt with a few acquisitions this year. Mm. Oh, sorry, last year. People that are looking at buying other businesses, what would you recommend if they're going to come and speak to us, what they bring along, and some of the things that they should look out when they're buying the business before coming to speak to us and when they come and speak to us? If you are a self-employed individual
1: and you're looking at purchasing another business, there's a few ways you can look at doing it. You can have it siloed so your current business, we don't look at those financials. We don't take into consideration that business's profitability when you're purchasing the next one. That's quite a, a safe and risk adverse way to do it because what you're essentially doing is saying... If this new business fails, when I buy Mm -hmm. it, Mm. it's not going to negatively impact my other business. business, There's no requirement for that other business to top up the second business purchase. You'll probably see around the streets, you see a lot of franchises. They, They open one or two shops, they get really hot, they get really business. Then all of a sudden there's eight or nine of them around the place. Mm. And then within two years, they're back down to one or two. And that's just because of that aggressive growth strategy. Um, And often enough, it's because the first couple are financing the next three or four or five. Um, So that's one way to do it. The other way is to say, well, look, I have a really strong business over here and I want to grow it via acquisition. And I'm going to use my current business to prop up the new business purchase. And then we look at both Financials. financials so but when you buy that second business it, it can be quite a difficult negotiation period with the current vendor because we will need to see the financial statements and tax returns of that existing business to make sure that it is a viable purchase to make sure that there is uh, sufficient serviceability and income that we can use to assess it
0: so we go through a couple of years financials of the business that they're looking at buying go through the balance sheet and everything that in terms of what what they're acquiring yep. i know last year that we did a acquisition for we helped fund a couple of boys that were working mm-hmm. for the business yep. to purchase the business yep. and you, you know you might find that that's quite popular out there there's a there's a series of five C's that we kind of go through Shawnee. I know that from a commercial people that are either looking at buying or work within the business wanting to buy the property what are the five C's that banks typically look at yeah sure so it's called the five
1: C's of credit you've got character capacity capital collateral and conditions. So character, that is, I touched on it earlier, that's kind of the purpose of funding. What are we doing and why are we doing it? When it comes to commercial lending, it does need to be broken down a little bit further. We also have to touch on the applicant's credit reports Mm -hmm. as well, because that comes down to their willingness to repay their obligations. We also like to see, like I mentioned, the forecasting for the business. And we also like to see that the directors, so the people who are borrowing essentially, have given a great deal of thought into what they're trying to do and they've got a plan moving forward. So that all comes under character. The capacity section, that is the serviceability. The current business trading profit, so net profit before tax, how does all of that look with allowable adbacks and things, which is part of our assessment.
0: Behaviour um, as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. So behaviour is more part of that um, character piece. Character build. Yeah, but the, the capacity is the current business performance um, how does that stack up once you put a bunch of debt inside it? And often enough, you'll find, especially with business acquisition, you buy a company that doesn't have any debt and it's extremely profitable. But once you put debt inside that company, how, how will does it- does it look? Yeah, how does it make its repayments and will it maintain profitability? Um, so that's one thing we look at. The capital, that's your deposit amount, um, your overall statement of position, and, and kind of like your net asset position. Equity, cash. Yep, yep. yep perfect. Collateral is a security offered. So when it comes to commercial there's a few different securities that we can take. We can obviously, if there's a commercial property, we can take that as security. If there's any type of equipment, so property, plant, and equipment, we may be able to take that as security as well. And then there's cash flow lending, where the banks actually take a charge over the revenue streams within the company. So that is common as you get into the larger businesses. Yeah, that's right, larger yeah. businesses. It can be good and it can be useful for the smaller acquisitions yes. who are trying to grow, mm. but they don't have that asset ba- base yet, but they've got a really good revenue stream. We can look at using that as well. Typically, the rates start to get a little bit higher, but look, if, if your growth strategy is there, that can make sense a lot of the time. And then the conditions, that's your loan
0: conditions, your rates, your terms, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, cool. Money Mitch. Hello. Money Mitch, we've got a lot of specialists within the group, but I know first home buyers is something that is your niche. Correct. Given obviously your age bracket, but also at the same time, it's something that I know you specialize and you're really good at it. So Mitch, at the moment, there's a lot of grants out there. Mm -hmm. Where do you start? People are Googling what grants available. Can you just run through the grants available out there? for people that are first home buyers. Absolutely.
2: So as you said, there's a number of incentives that first home buyers can take advantage of. And at the moment, a lot of people are, because obviously, as we know, uh, where rates are at the moment and the cost of living, it really is important that you look at what options you have to help you get in the market and get the property that you want. So I'll just go over the four main incentives that we're looking at at the moment. So the first one is called the First Home Buyer's Guarantee Scheme. You've probably heard that to get a property, ideally you want a 20% deposit. And if you don't have that, you might have to pay for expensive insurance and you'll get a worse rate. The First Home Buyer's Guarantee Scheme essentially is a government scheme that for first home buyers who meet the criteria, you only need a 5% deposit. And then the government will guarantee to the bank the difference between your deposit and 20%. So the bank will treat you as if you have a 20% deposit, even if you don't. So you won't have to pay lenders mortgage insurance, which can be tens of thousands of dollars, Mm. and you'll get rates as if you had a 20% deposit. So you won't get stuck on the rates either.
0: Jeez, that's huge. Oh, absolutely. I mean, mortgage insurance, as we all know here, is ridiculously high, Mm -hmm. especially for first home buyers. Is there a cap on it? Like is there a limit? Yes. Yeah, so there are a few criteria that you have to meet. In terms of purchase price,
2: they're different throughout the country, And it's different in capital cities and rurally. But um, in Brisbane, for example, the purchase price has to be 700,000 or under. In the rest of Queensland, it's 550,000 or under. Oh, sorry, Metro Queensland as well. So sorry, Sunshine Coast and Gold Coast as well are 700,000. 700 in Brisbane? Brisbane, Sunshine Coast, Gold Coast are 700,000. The rest of Queensland is 550,000. So you have to have a purchase
0: price at or below those in order to qualify for that scheme. So if you had a $700,000 property mm-hmm. under this scheme, if you had 5% deposit, which is 35 grand, mm-hmm. the government will then fund the 15% to avoid mortgage insurance. Is that right? Yes, that's right. So, so the government basically is what you're saying is we'll lend 105000 to help you make up that 20% deposit to avoid mortgage insurance.
2: Essentially, yes. Wow. So you still are paying it all back to the bank, but the government is stepping in to make sure that you That's can huge. get the deal that you need. Yeah, absolutely. And so many people are relying on it these days. Whereas if
0: you didn't have it, God, I'm, I'm putting you on the spot here, but mortgage insurance would be in ex- excessive of what? 30 grand plus? I mean, each lender is different, but if you're looking at a $700,000 place, yeah, easily it could be 30 grand. So if you're looking at a $700,000 property, You've got thirty five thousand dollars saved, and I'll come to you in a second terms of defined genuine savings, Mm -hmm. and the government will then back you for the other fifteen. On top of that, fifteen you need stamp duty. Stamp duty. That's it. On top of that uh, cost, so thirty-five plus your stamp duty and general costs. Yeah, in terms of costs involved, stamp duty is going to
2: be the big one, which is, for those who don't know, stamp duty is a tax that the buyer pays when they're purchasing property based on the value of the property. Stamp duty is the big one. Obviously, uh, a few thousand dollars in legal fees. Depending on which lender you go to, there might be a few fees for the lender, some small mortgage registration fees. But yeah, those are the main costs other than the deposit.
0: Okay, so you would say if you had $35,000 deposit... Under the scheme, to be really clear, 35000 plus your stamp duty plus costs, so you $55,000 to $60,000 could put you in a position to talk to yourself.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Wow, that's huge. Absolutely. I mean, you don't even have to wait to that to talk to me or yeah. talk to a mortgage broker. Uh, my recommendation is go see me as soon as possible because I can just get some information from you, look at your circumstances, have a look at what's out there and give you an idea of what your borrowing power might be, what purchase price might be realistic for you. Um, And if you're not in a position to buy something you want now, what steps can we take to get you in that position faster?
0: Okay, so Mitch, that was wonderful. I really like that. I'm sure a lot of people really enjoy that because I think a lot of people out there at 700K would go, I need, you'd need what, 90,000? Stamp duty deposit, you can get away with it for 55. So, Mitch, mate, that was great. That one, thank you very much. Mate, what's the next one? The next one we'll
2: talk about is the first home buyer's stamp duty concession. So, as I just said, stamp duty is a tax that the buyer pays when they're purchasing property. So, in Australia or in Queensland, I should say, uh, the limits are different in each state, but in Queensland, If you buy a property worth $550,000 or less, you can get a partial exemption for stamp duty. And if the property is worth $500,000 or less, you get a full exemption for stamp duty. So just as an example, stamp duty on a $500,000 property is just under $9,000. So that's saving you a huge amount. There are obviously some criteria that you need to meet, uh, the main one being the value. And again, you have to be a first home buyer, so you can't have owned any property previously. But you can combine these schemes together. So if you wanted to buy a $500,000 property, you could apply for the first home guarantee scheme to only use your 5% deposit and you can get stamp duty potentially waived from the first uh, home buyer's stamp duty concession. Bloody hell. So
0: great! if you're able
2: to qualify for a few of these schemes, that can make a massive difference to first home buyers.
0: I mean, surely we've been in the industry for what, nearly 20, 30 years that didn't happen back then. No, it didn't. 30 years. Keep that to yourself. No, mate. I would have no, been no, actually, no, no, I would have been 17. <laughs> 20 years. Let's yeah, go
1: with 20. No, there's a lot of good government and I can To mm-hmm. help people into uh This our is membership. huge.
0: And I know that we've got a couple of seminars coming up in a couple of months. Absolutely. The next one, mate, that's only two. Give us the next two. So- the next one we'll talk about is called the First Home Owners
2: Grant. So this is a cash grant. It used to be 15000 but a few months ago, it actually went up to 30000 Wow. Again, each state has its own. But if we're talking about Queensland, you've got a potential $30,000 grant for first home buyers. So again, there are a few criteria that go with this one. The purchase price maximum is $750,000. So a little bit more than the 1st home buyer's guarantee scheme. The main thing about the first homeowner's grant is you have to be buying a brand new property or building a property yourself. So it's designed to get people in the market to build, to create more housing. Because as we know, we always need more housing the rental market's a bit crazy at the moment. So if you're looking to potentially build your own house, buy a house of land package, or buy a brand new house that's been built and not lived in, you can apply for this grant and potentially just get $30,000 in cash from the government.
0: Wow. Up to seven hundred and fifty. <laughs>
2: Up to $750,000. Is there a
0: criteria about combined income for two people buying it though?
2: That criteria is for the first home buyer's guarantee scheme, yeah, I didn't go through all the specific criteria when I was talking about the scheme. So we want people to we'll call go you. through them. Absolutely. So Talk no, there's, to me, there's money no image. <laughs> so there's no maximum income for the first homeowner's grant, but yes there is for the guarantee scheme. Yeah. The final one? The final one we're looking at is the first home super saver scheme. Wow. So the government has put together a scheme that if you make voluntary contributions to your super you can potentially pull some of that out to use as a deposit for your first home so a lot of people especially people who work in government will already be making these voluntary super contributions because that's pretty much standard when you get a government job there are a lot of people who are in other jobs that also make contributions that are voluntary uh, so you can contact the government and ask them for how much voluntary contributions you have made and how much you'll be able to pull
0: out so it's kind of like a forced savings. So if you've got someone that's young enough, good position, wanting to buy a property in three years' time, mm-hmm. you can increase your super, reduces your tax, plus it helps you as a savings. It's a Absolutely. no-brainer. I think it's important to remember is that you can even speak to people even if they're not ready for another two or three years, right? So you can kind of guide them down that right path to go, this is what the bank's going to require. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is a scheme applicable to you Mm -hmm. and knowledge is power. Then they can go down that path, giving them a set goal because we normally find that that's what the first-time buyers want, right?
2: Yeah. Absolutely. So for this scheme, the criteria can change, but at the moment you can pull about $10,000 per year in voluntary contributions back out. So if for the next two years, you contributed 20000 you could potentially pull that whole $20,000 out mm. um, as a deposit. And also when it's in your super, it's being invested for you. So
0: it's growing your wealth as it's in there as well. Mm, great idea. And we have got financial planners in, in the event that you didn't need really to speak to them about this scheme. Absolutely. That'd be right.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So Mitch, mate, what is genuine savings number one? Number two, when should people come and see you as a broker looking at buying their first property? So first, genuine savings. Mate, what is that? Okay,
2: so a lot of banks have a requirement for genuine savings depending on what kind of product you're getting and if you're a first home buyer. Banks essentially want you to be able to prove that you can save money and budget effectively to be able to repay your loan. So if you have a deposit that's being gifted to you by someone, For example, a lot of people get a gift from their parents in order to use as a deposit for a home. The bank is going to want that person to be able to show, actually, I am capable of savings and I do have some savings that I've genuinely saved. It's not just a gift. Because yeah, they want to make sure that you're able to budget and you'll be able to pay. So each lender has slightly different criteria. But if money has been sitting in your account for at least three to six months, or if you can show that the deposit has been built up in your account through income that you are producing and not from a gift, that will be considered genuine savings. Is there still a policy if you rent from a real estate agent? Yeah. The other thing that some lenders will look at is rent as genuine savings. So if you're paying $500 a week in rent and you've paid that for at least six months, banks will look at that and say, hey, there's proof that this person is able to budget and can pay their obligations. So that's going to show the bank, yes, I was able to pay my rent. So I'm going to be able to budget
0: and pay for the mortgage when I have it. And second question is, when when should people come to see you in the event that they've got that on the radar? I mean, the answer to that to everyone would be
2: right now. Call me right now, because even if you're not in a position to be buying a house now, it never hurts to get an idea of what your circumstances are now, what you might be able to borrow now, and also get some advice from me about what do I need to do in order to increase my borrowing power and what might my borrowing power be if I can change my circumstances, if I can save a little, if I get a promotion at work. Uh, It never hurts to have more information. The more information you have, the better position you'll be in in the future to make good decisions in investing in property.
1: Just circling back to the, the first homeowner's grant, you've mentioned there where uh, I- as long as they're eligible, they may get $30,000 cash back off the government. You mentioned it's for new housing. What about other types of dwellings as well? Can, can they buy units and things like that or is it just houses?
2: Yeah, so it is other types of dwellings as well. As long as it's brand new and hasn't been lived in, or if you're going to be making a very substantial renovation, so essentially completely structurally changing it, then you will qualify for the grant as well.
1: Oh, true. Okay. As right. long as that um, renovation is still their first home. So they've bought it as their first home and the renovations.
2: Correct. It has to be your first home
0: and you have to be planning to live in it. You can't use it as an investment property. Okay. That's good to know. Thanks for that question, Shawnee. Shawnee, I'm just going to come back to you, mate, because we're doing a lot of SMSF commercial mm-hmm. at the moment. And SMSF Residential, which you specialize in, just to understand the concept of using your self-managed super fund to invest into commercial properties. Yep. Can you just give us a quick, brief snapshot of the advantages of it and what are you seeing a lot of?
1: Yeah, sure. So first off, whenever you look at self-managed super funds, you've got to have a financial planner or financial advisor providing you with personal advice around your retirement planning, your superannuation, essentially your holistic financial position. We look after the, the debt position, but that financial advisor needs to provide you with a statement of advice just to suggest that, look, a self-managed super fund is the right vehicle for you to, to grow your super fund. And then as well as that, it also needs to be in the statement of advice that borrowing to purchase real property is part of your individual retirement plan and, and, and superannuation strategy. So that, that's kind of the first thing that you need to look into. Obviously, we can help you with all of those things with people we know. Balance, typically. What's a
0: balance that they should really...
1: Yeah. So look, historically, SMSFs, it was two hundred to 250,000 combined balance. Um, so that's both members and, and typically it will be a partnership where there's two people involved, but you can have usually up to about six members. So you can pool the superannuation funds of six individuals into a superannuation fund. But historically it was two hundred dollars to $250,000 and a lot of lenders still have that as an absolute minimum. Now that has changed over the last few years as some lenders have relaxed their policies, However, what we are finding in the current market is that you do need a significant deposit in order to make the lending position work just because of high interest rates mm. and things like that. So there's no minimum anymore, as in you don't wow. have to have 200 grand, Jeez. but it it is well worth to have a reasonable balance. Mm. But there, there's a lot of things we can help out with when you don't have- a huge superannuation fund. Like I come from a family. My parents were both self-employed for 20 odd
0: years. Mm. Super wasn't a big thing, was it? Super just wasn't a big
1: thing growing up. Um, It obviously came in in the early 90s with the Keating and Hawks. But a lot of self-employed people don't pay themselves super or if they do, they pay a very small amount. So there are strategies we can help them with about getting more money into their superannuation, that's done in partnership with their financial
0: advisor, accountants, and then also us as well. So the mainstream banks don't really specialize in in this, do they? I mean, I know they moved out of this sector a few years ago. Yeah, that's right.
1: So after the Royal Commission a couple of years ago, at Mm -hmm. least when the Royal Commission was announced, all of the majors started to to pull Pull out of the superannuation side of things. So that's not just superannuation lending, but also their financial planning arms. They all pulled back and went back to core business, which was just consumer and business and commercial lending. So you won't find the majors providing finance for SMSFs. There may still be some historical clients out there with super fund loans at those institutions, but then certainly not being proactively
0: managed and they're definitely not getting any new lending. I know one of the ones you're dealing with at the moment, you've saved in the client nearly up to 10,000 bucks. Yeah. In interest. Yeah, that's right. That's so, huge, right? Yeah. So if any listeners are out there, you've got commercial lending through Mainstream Bank, in your SMSF, all residential. Speak to Shawnee, Super Sean, about reviewing that. Businesses looking at purchasing commercial property to house their business there at the same time, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. And I touched on this early when I spoke about straight commercial lending. One of the things that we encourage all of our self-employed clients is if you are paying a lease currently, you're essentially it's like rent in Mm. your in your personal name. It's it's lease in your company name. So therefore you should be looking at, okay, well, if I'm paying X amount per year in lease or per month, what does that equate to as far as a, a mortgage? or a loan within my self-managed super fund or within uh, another special purpose vehicle that can buy your own commercial property. And then you start obviously
0: paying that lease to yourself. I think it's become so attractive for people because of the volatility around the world, you know, with the ASX. Typically with your SMSF, you can only really purchase either the ASX or property, the return in some areas. So I think it's important, you know, have got a good healthy super to investigate this and, you know, contact yourself and us here at SW Brokerage because it's good to have a foot in different camps, right?
1: Yeah, it is. You do want a a diverse portfolio when it comes to your overall asset position, but Australians have a love affair with property. Yeah. It continually grows and it's just a lot more stable as an asset class. It's tactile, you know, you can go out, you can see it,
0: it's there, you know it's real. And for a lot of people that have got a business and you're housing your business there – It's your place. Yeah, that's right. It's a no-brainer if you're self-employed
1: and you're currently paying a lease. Yep. If the numbers work, then yeah, it's a no-brainer to purchase a commercial property with your super and then have your company lease that property off your super.
0: And for any listeners at the moment listening to what Shawnee's talking about, if you jump onto our website at swbrokerage.com and click SW Capital, it'll give you a bit of a graph there in terms of how the setup is. You can contact myself and Shawnee who specialise in the SMSF space. Thanks very much for that, Sean. I, I appreciate it. And, um, you know, I know we're doing on average maybe two or three a month inquiries and it's starting to pick up in that SMSF space. So, Definitely. yeah, look, speak to us. We'll put you in touch. It is, it is a few hoops to jump through, but it's certainly worthwhile. Hey, Mitch, just before we wrap up, bud, overall, what are the top five tips for 1st home buyers, mate? Okay, my number one tip, I'm going to say it again. Come see me right now.
2: Uh, As I said, arm yourself with information, get to know what your situation is and what you can do and potentially what you can do in the future. It never hurts to know what your options are. Uh, It can only help. My number two is get a pre-approval. So a pre-approval is essentially uh, a bank saying, in principle, we will lend you this amount of money based on your income and your circumstances. So it doesn't guarantee that you will get Approval when you do sign a contract, but it can give you confidence in knowing this bank says I can afford this much to give you an idea of what you can look at and what houses will be realistic for you in your price range. Another big tip is think about what features you want in your house when you're looking at it. So think about the location is it near public transport? Are you looking for an apartment or a house? There should be wants and there should be needs. So you might have a need that It's 30 minutes or less to work. You might have a want that you want a pool, but it's not vital. Mm -hmm. These are all things that you need to consider before you start looking, just so you know what houses are realistic and what you're willing to-
0: um, So really looking at the amenities around the suburb that you're buying. Yeah, absolutely.
2: So just everything- A lot of people, I suppose, don't necessarily think about the overall. They'll see a house and fall in love with it. I think it's important to have in your mind, what features am I looking for? So you can mm. objectively look at houses when you see them and even just go see a bunch of houses because the more you look at, the better yeah. idea you'll get of what what is a need and what is a want. And last one. Oh, two more. <laughs> it's all right. Think about your future plans when you're looking at properties. So think, is this going to be your forever home? And if it's not, what are you going to do with it? Do you want to sell it and and upsize at one point? Do you want to maybe move out and use it as an investment property? And if you do, do you think it's going to be suitable as an investment property? So obviously when you're finding a house, you want to find a house you're happy with, but you also want to be thinking what's future me going to be yeah. doing and is this a good decision?
0: Mitch is a very wise comment that one. I've come across that in my time first-time buyers purchasing a property. Mm-hmm can't renovate it, need to sell it, want to to make an investment, probably doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. So yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Keep that in mind. And my last one is just think about your budget. So it's always good to know what is the maximum you can afford, but you've got to think about how does it fit in with your life? How does it fit in with your expenses? And again, how does it fit in with your future goals? So sit down, look at a budget and have a think- what do I want to pay? What am I willing to pay? And what features am I looking at? And then as well, here's a bonus one for you. Once you've got it, uh, speak to us about tips for paying less interest and getting your loan
0: down faster. Love it. I think also it's important, the unknown and dealing with someone like yourself who got empathy, patience, guiding people through. It's really important, I think, for people to come and speak to yourself. Mm-hmm. And then you can work through a journey in terms of how to go about it. Mm-hmm. How do you make an offer? Do you need a solicitor? When do I need to get the building in pass? There's so many questions for first home buyers, but I think that people need to make contact with you to talk about how it, how it works because there's so much out there. Not just typically, you know, in your generation, the younger generation jumping onto Google, finding out. It's more than that. Yeah. And you've got access, we've got access to what, 35, 40 lenders?
2: Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. And just to add to that as well, um, I've had clients who I've seen for an initial meeting, they've said, we're not quite ready yet. And then a few months later, six months later, mm. Over that time, they'll come back and say, we're ready now or we have this question, we're thinking about doing this. do you think this will affect our borrowing power? So it's just good to have a meeting with me so you have someone that you know you can ask questions to, even if it's just a small email after a couple of months saying, we're thinking about doing this, what do you reckon? Yeah um, it's good to have someone to have to bounce ideas off.
0: And I think also as well, that's important to remember for a lot of people is relationship. you know it's just not a transaction for us. I mean, we've been around for 20 years. It's ongoing because your financial situation changes in three or four years' time. Mm-hmm. So it's important to to bounce off ideas, someone that you trust, yep. and surround yourself with the right people that you can kind of go, hey, I'm looking at doing this down the track. So it's really important in, in, in uh, relationships, right? Absolutely. Well, thanks very much, mate. Thank you. Shawnee, uh, I know that you've probably got uh, a couple more
1: things. Just to tack on the back of uh, what Mitch has been saying, which is, which is great work. We spoke about lenders mortgage insurance, which can be quite expensive. That's for sure. It's not a, it's not that much of a negative. Like it's not this big bad beast that you have to avoid because with a lot of the government schemes, like Mitch touched on, there's a lot of criteria especially around it has to be your first home. So if you have a, a partner that's owned previously, then they're not eligible. There's a lot of income requirements for some of them. And then there's obviously the asset values as well. So therefore there's going to be some first home buyers out there who don't qualify for any of these schemes mm. and may have to pay lender's mortgage insurance. The, the good thing about lender's mortgage insurance is you can include it on top of your loan so it's not a premium you have to pay up front. So that's good. That means it gets spread out over the life of the loan. When I try to explain to clients the benefit of buying now and paying LMI, which is lender's mortgage insurance, rather than waiting and trying to save more mm. is just using round numbers. If you bought a property for 650000 and you were not eligible for any of the grants Grant. and you go, look, I don't want to pay lender's mortgage insurance on that and just using a made-up yeah, number. Yep. Let's just say the the lender's mortgage insurance is about twelve to fifteen thousand dollars, and you say no, I'm not going to buy it because I don't want to pay LMI. After let's just say the property goes up five percent every year, which probably isn't overly incorrect. That means that house for six hundred and fifty thousand dollars after twelve months. Has gone up 5%, which is 32 and a half grand. So that 650K home is now 682K. So you therefore have to save more deposit as well to buy the mm. exact same property. Yeah. So sometimes getting the mortgage insurance and tacking it on top of your loan is very, very valuable and the right decision in the long run, especially for those people who don't qualify for, for some of the grants that, that Mitch touched on.
0: Thanks, mate. I appreciate that. That's good. We didn't pick up on that one. But over the time, I I remember doing a, well, still do lines here or there, but people that are first home buyers, the single people out there underestimate purchasing, this is not a recommendation, but people that are purchasing units, they don't want to touch them because they're hearing that property units don't increase as much as houses, but then the house price is untangible because they can't afford it. It's kind of like just buy the unit, That will force you to save to pay it down. Yes, it won't increase the same amount as a house, but it's your own property. Especially if you're paying
1: rent. Doesn't make sense. Yeah, if you're paying rent and you have the capacity and capabilities to buy a
0: unit, then then go for it. But I think also as well, there's one client that springs to mind is that she didn't want to go to that extra 10K and that property now is worth another $40,000. And you touched on it before, right? You're like, this just doesn't make sense. So if you can afford it, pull the trigger, but... I can say selfishly is that I know at SW Brokerage we deal with 1st home buyers, sophisticated uh, investors, commercial, people that are purchasing again, and we are morphing into, I said to the guys prior, we are morphing into like a bit of a mini bank as such where we're dissecting it's not just a transaction, yes you can just, this is it, it's like breaking down people's cash flow, giving them guidance, and that's the uniqueness of us together as a group, So. Look, thanks, boys. Thanks very much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of questions from the listeners that we've got out there. So, again, if you log on to swbrokerage.com.au, Shawnee's details are on there, Mitch's details are on there. Make contact with them, and I'm sure they'll get back to you. Follow us on social media, because we we do put a lot on social media. And look, there's some good positive stuff. Interest rates are looking like they're only coming back down. We saw some rate reductions yesterday from some banks with some fixed terms. So, some positive stuff on the horizons. Plus, we've got the Olympic Games coming. So, get in touch. Thank you very much for listening. I really appreciate it. You can contact me on barry.wilkinson at swggroup.com.au or if you Google Statewide Wealth Group... Barry Wilkinson that will come up and it'll show you the links on how to get to me it's quite easy jump onto our website if you like in our blog section on Statewide Wealth Group you'll find some wonderful blogs that we've recently put up some tips and tricks and some information from my business partner in relation to the financial planning sector for us any questions there's an area within our website that you can ask us any questions that you like and uh, feel free to subscribe to this podcast if you can rate it if you could please that would be really appreciative and uh, feel free to send it amongst any of friends and family thanks very much